This is from Luke 24, verses 1 to 12. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. My name is Daniel. I want to add my greeting uh, to others who have uh, come up and shared their name and their greeting with you. I so th I'm so thankful that we get to celebrate like this. And what wonderful weather uh, to celebrate together. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being with us on our Easter Sunday. A few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to take a road trip down to San Diego. Uh, I left my house around 11 p.m., uh, and I realized a couple of things. I am not as uh, young as I used to be. And 11 p.m. sounds uh, extremely foolish, but 11 p.m. is when we left. We needed to be down in San Diego the following morning. And so we, uh, we left around 11 p.m. expecting to pull up into that beautiful city by early morning. Uh, and to ensure that I arrived safely, there were a few things I had planned to keep myself awake. Three things in particular. One, now I don't usually do this, but I took a five-hour energy drink. <laughs> I don't usually do that, uh, but I thought a vacation called for it. Uh, I'm not sure how much of a believer I am in these uh, caffeinated, high-caffeine drinks, but it, the occasion called for it. And so uh, I figured if I leave at 11 p.m., I should probably take it at 1 a.m. so I can get in by 6, 7 a.m. I don't know, I, that's kind of the math I did in my head. But uh, I took a five-hour energy, and then at number two, I bought a bag of sunflower seeds. <laughs> my favorite, cracked pepper. I uh, had a bag of sunflower seeds and a little cup in my hand as I drove down. I'm not sure how good, uh, how healthy that is, I can't imagine with that much sodium, but a five-hour energy, you know, it's too late going back. I thought I'd throw in the sunflower seeds as well, and I spit it into a cup as I was driving. But three, this is the, the part I want to get to, is three, I lined up a true crime podcast <laughs> that I could listen to on my drive down, a true crime podcast. Now, the episodes were fascinating, and again, I lined them up. They were running one after another. 
It kept me on the edge of my seat over the duration of my drive. And if you're interested, uh, I'll tell you what podcast I was listening to later after the sermon. But the podcast covers the alleged disappearance and the murder of a young college student in a college town in California almost three decades ago. And one of the reasons why the case was still open even up until just a few months ago was that they could not find the body. I know we have kids in the room, so I don't want to say too much. But uh, you may be thinking, you know, why such a, a horrible introduction to a beautiful Sunday morning like Easter? Uh, a missing body. A missing body will cause anyone to get, go into a frenzy. It causes confusion and speculation. It brings distress. It uh, adds pain uh, to pain, grief to grief. Uh, we begin to ask questions like, what really happened? Uh, who's lying? Who's telling the truth? And the scene is no different than the scene at a grave site 2,000 years ago. Perhaps the circumstances are different. Perhaps uh, the details are different. But I think there are similar emotions that swirl as women gathered on an early Sunday morning and stumble upon an empty tomb. Well, just like the podcast, if I may, let me state the facts of the case. Fact number one, the story begins with the obvious. Jesus is dead. They all watched him die. They all witnessed his last breath. They all witnessed him being taken down eventually from a cross, which was the mode of his execution. He was covered in a linen shroud as he was placed in a borrowed tomb, the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. These are all facts. The things that we know are true as we read this particular passage in Luke chapter 24. Listen to what the gospel writer Luke records for us in the previous chapter, in chapter 23, in verse 55, it says, the women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandments. Again, these, these are, this is an Old Testament commandment. This is part of the Ten Commandments, that they were to rest on the Sabbath. And again, here, the women are following the, the law. So again, you want an eyewitness account of the death of Jesus. Here you have it. Jesus is dead. The women saw the dead body with their own eyes. They saw exactly how his body had been laid in that tomb, expecting to return to it to bring spices and to anoint the body of Jesus, to, prop, to show proper respect for the dead. Now, if you remember, when Jesus' body was removed from the cross, it was too close to the beginning of the Sabbath day. And so the disciples, they hurriedly, they quickly prepare his body to show proper respect uh, some spices were applied, but not the kind of treatment for a loved one. 
The following day was a Sabbath day, a day of rest. So it would be these women who loved Jesus as soon as dawn was about to break on that third day, they were on their way to the tomb. With an appropriate selection of spices to fully and properly complete the preparation of Jesus' body. The first moments that they have an opportunity to go and prepare the dead for burial. The women rise up early and go to the tomb. It wasn't because they were lazy or they had gotten caught up with other busy things. It was the first opportunity. It was that third day, the first day of the week, on a Sunday early morning, perhaps even before the dawn broke, they got up. It's a lot like uh, kids at Christmas. They can't wait, right? Christmas Eve, they can't wait to open presents on the following morning. And so with anticipation, they go to sleep and they wake up earlier than the others. And again, I think the women, very similarly, just that anticipation, that preparing of the body for, for burial, they get up early in the morning and they make their way to the tomb. Sometimes... When we read through ancient texts like this, when we read about stories like this that were written 2,000 years ago, I'm not sure if you're like me, but we think, you know, they were a lot less scientific than we are, right? Perhaps a, we're a lot more logical, more reasonable. We don't believe in every, sing, uh, every single thing that comes out. Uh, we think that they were, back in those days, more likely to believe in things like a resurrection. But that's not true. They knew how death worked. Most of them had seen more dead bodies up close by the age of 12 than most of us ever see in a lifetime. And when someone died, like someone being punctured by a spear and blood gushing out, they knew that you... Don't come back to life from something like that. These are the facts of the case. Jesus was dead, fully dead. No, he was not almost dead. Or there was an identical twin. There are some theories like that, but they were dead. He was, uh, Jesus was dead. And again, we have eyewitnesses who witnessed the, the whole crucifixion and the death and burial of Jesus their teacher. And 23, chapter 23 records the events of that. And it says that the women were there and they saw how he was wrapped and how he was laid in the tomb and the linen shroud that covered his body. Jesus is fully dead. Fact number two. When they get to the tomb, now these are the women, when they get to the tomb, fact number two, the body is missing. In verse 1, on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. You would think that the discovery of an empty tomb, of a stone rolled away, would change their perspective. Oh, Jesus rose again from the dead. 
but it does not bring clarity. It brings confusion. The Bible tells us that they were perplexed. Bodies are supposed to remain dead, not come back to life. Church, when we read the text, we, could be, we should be clear that the women were not expecting a resurrection. They were not expecting a resurrection. That was the furthest thing from their minds. Forget his, forget his predictions. Forget all the things he said. Forget everything he had told them during his earthly ministry. They were simply not expecting a resurrection. They brought spices to prepare the body. The text tells us they, they came to the body for, for burial. The woman came to finish the job of embalming the body. And what did they find when they got there? The stone rolled away and an empty tomb. All four gospel writers, those who take an account of what happened on that first day of the week, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four Gospels agree to this fact. The women did not have the slightest clue as to what had happened. They were not looking for a resurrection. They didn't come to the tomb that morning looking for a miracle. They were looking for closure. The facts of the case. Jesus is dead and his body is missing. Some have suggested that the disciples of Jesus stole his body and fabricated the resurrection story. The fact that the Bible tells us that lots of people saw Jesus over a 40-day period helps us debunk this theory, this conspiracy theory. It's inconceivable that such a well-planned and thought-out conspiracy could succeed. If the conspiracy is true, the disciples of Jesus carried that lie even to death. But I would ask, for what reason? Why would they perpetuate a lie? Paul Little in his book, uh, Know What You Believe, says this. Men will die for what they believe to be true, though it may actually be false. They do not, however, die for what they know is a lie. If you read further in the story, even the disciples are surprised of the empty tomb. And when they see him again over the course of the next 40 days after Easter, they're, per Easter, they're perplexed. And even Thomas says, Lord, I want to feel the nails in your hands. And the spear that went through the side. The facts of the case, Jesus is dead and his body is missing. Fact number three, the women, they go to the tomb and they meet an angel. The women meet an angel, actually two angels who tell them exactly what happened. The facts of the case. In verse five, the women receive a word that runs counter to what they believe to be true. They say to the women, why do you look for the living among the dead? And says, Jesus is not here, but he has risen. And when you hear something like that, the only logical response, and this is how I know that the women of those days are a lot like us, 
unbelief. How could that be true? You see, the only logical response to such a message is unbelief. Experience teaches us that death wins. When such contradictory claims collide, it only makes sense to continue affirming what we already know to be true. And this is what Lou reports in the next section. The women bring the message of resurrection to the others after they believe it, and they respond as thinking people regularly respond. They thought that the message was, again, the disciples, that it was an idle tale, and they did not believe them. It's nonsense. Of course, no one rises from the dead, not after three days, not after being beaten and scourged, not after being crucified, not after hanging on a cross for six hours, not after, not after having a, a spear thrust into his side, not after being covered with pounds and pounds of spices and wrapped in suffocating burial cloth, not after being sealed in a tomb. No, the odds against it. It's impossible. You see, unbelief does not mean that people believe nothing. Rather, it means that they believe something else. People say, I don't believe it because there's something else they believe more strongly. Experience teaches that death wins and even the strongest succumb to it. Young and old alike, men and women alike, the strong and the weak alike. Experience teaches that life is what you make it so you get what you can while you can because it will be soon uh, over soon enough. But now this is huge. Luke is doing something. He's driving home a point. He's driving home to us some great message here. The way we live the Christian life, the way we grow in grace is by believing the word of God. Just as he said just as he said, that he did it just like he said. He did it and unraveled it and he predicted it, whether we use the word prediction or prophecy, he, he said it, it would happen the way it would happen, that he would die and again in three days he would rise again from the dead. He, it happened exactly the way he said and the angels re remind the women that, again, it would happen to them just as he said. They explain to the women that they will not be able to understand these events apart from, uh, apart from Jesus' words. And they do not understand Jesus' words in light of, the e light of the events. They understand the event in light of Jesus' words words. You know, we have this saying in our culture that says, uh, seeing is believing. And we think that just because we've seen it, we should believe it. But there's something fascinating in the scripture that tells us it's about faith, right? It's when you have faith, you're able to see. And there's something about the event. And again, here, Jesus is reminding us about the order of things. And he's saying, I said it. And you see the events unfold, and, and Jesus says, it's just like I predicted. You understand the event in light of the words that Jesus says. 
And the angel says to these women, if you're going to respond to the resurrection the right way, it begins by remembering Jesus' words. And I think, again, in verse 8, it's the key to the whole section, I think, but it says, and they remembered. They remembered. And everything they do in the rest of this passage has all the marks of faith. They go running back to the apostles and say, let us tell you what we saw and what we didn't see and what the angel said to us. And even when the apostles blow them off, they persist in their belief and what they've been told and what they've seen. And they're the example of how to respond to this exhortation in this passage. And what happens is that the angels point the women to the words of Jesus. He ties what Jesus said with what just happened before their very eyes. Jesus did not remain dead, but he rose again, just like he said. He rose again on the third day, just like he said. That he'd be turned over to, uh, to be crucified. And the third day, he would, he would be raised again from the dead. And again, it happens just as he says. The claim that the tomb could not hold Jesus, the idea that the one who died by crucifixion has now risen just as he said is so outrageous that it might make you wonder whether it might just be true. The apostles seemed convinced that the message was nonsense, nothing more than an idle tale. Death was death, yet the message was so outrageous that Peter had to go and take a look for himself. And I love this. Peter doesn't even go inside. He just takes a peek. The text says, but Peter. He had to wonder, could it be true? And I love this section because it reminds us that the story of the resurrection is for doubters and unbelievers alike. You know, it's okay to doubt. It's okay to have questions. And it's okay to, to wonder. And Peter does that. Peter runs, runs to the tomb and wonders and, and asks the question in his heart, could it be true that what just happened is an unfolding, an unraveling of what he had said would be? Peter rose and ran. I love that. He ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what happened. What if it's true? And the Easter message this morning is just that. Whether you have been walking with Jesus for a long time or today you're here because someone invited you, we're so glad you're here. And we're saying it's okay to ask the question, could it be true? Just might it be true? What if it's true? What if it's true? What if, what if death is real? 
but it's not final. What if Jesus is not merely past, but present? What if Jesus were to meet us here, to meet you here? What would life be like then? Just ponder the question, if it's true, if the resurrection is true, then it can also be said that he has redeemed us from our sins. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 4 that Jesus' resurrection was the verification that God had accepted the offering or the sacrifice of Jesus' payment for our sins on that cross. Think of it like a receipt. When you're shopping at one of my favorite places at Costco and you pay for your items, they give you a receipt, and they, I don't even know if they look, but they put a line through the receipt. I wish they would check, and sometimes I see them counting, and I'm not even sure they're, they're counting or if they're just pretending. But a receipt that you hold on to and you show that elderly gentleman at the door, this is the proof my items have been paid for. And my friends, the resurrection is just that. It's proof. It's proof that your sins have been paid for. It's proof that Jesus has redeemed us from our sins, that there's nothing you and I could ever do to redeem ourselves, to save ourselves, to better ourselves. The resurrection is the proof, Paul says, that God has accepted the payment of Jesus' death for our sins. If you look down at verse 21, two of the disciples walking along a dusty road to Emmaus later that afternoon explained to the stranger, a stranger who turns out to be Jesus in disguise. But they don't know it yet. They explained to the stranger why they were so devastated by Jesus' death. In verse 21, we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. The Old Testament prophets had promised that God would send a redeemer, a deliverer. They, would, they had assumed that it would be a political redeemer, a warrior king who would establish a, a kingdom, but Jesus brings something far greater. I apologize, I just, <laughs> it's such beautiful news, I mean, it's such good news, right, that he would come and redeem us from our sins. My friends, if it's true, he has redeemed us from our sins. My friends, if the resurrection is true, the power for new life is here. It has come. In Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, Paul writes, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that just like Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we can walk in newness of life. His resurrection, the Bible tells us, is the pattern for our own resurrection. The Bible tells us that because of his resurrection, there is a possibility of a resurrection for you and for me. This means that Jesus is not only able to forgive every sin, he can reverse and restore anything that sin has ruined. He puts together broken hearts, 
He renews. He rebuilds what sin has wrecked and wreaked havoc. And Jesus can overturn that. If the resurrection is true, there is power for new life, and it's here. My friends, if the resurrection is true, then one day every sad thing will come untrue. If the resurrection is real, there's a great reversal ahead. A day is coming when God will remove the curse of death entirely from our lives. There'll be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more sadness, no more tears, no more cancer, no more death by gun violence. He will undo every injustice and heal every hurt. On that day, God will wipe away every tear and make all things new. And to use the words of J.R.R. Tolkien in the, in the Lord of the Rings, he will on that day make every sad thing come untrue. Amen. Amen. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that in the resurrection, death will be swallowed up in victory. Friends, uh, your questions are welcome here on Easter Sunday. This is the heart of what we are all about. Everything we do rests on this fact, but it's okay to ask the questions about that resurrection, that Jesus rose from the dead. You see, if it wasn't that important, no one would ever, ever bother to question it or doubt it. You can, you can doubt some miracles of Christ, but again, here, the resurrection of Jesus is the foundation of our hope. It is a central fact of our faith. That's why from the very beginning, skeptics and doubters have attacked the Christian faith at this very point. It's not the virgin birth. It's not the miracles. It's not his death. It's the resurrection. And friends, I'm asking that you would feel comfortable in this space to ask the question, what if? My friends, Christ is risen. This is the reason why we gather together each week to proclaim a risen Christ. Would you join me in prayer? Because of the empty tomb, our road doesn't end at the grave. It just, it begins there. If anything, it begins there for those who are in Christ. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is the root of our hope. But the resurrection also reminds us that we love and serve and worship a living Savior, a Redeemer, a Deliverer who is alive and well, who has risen from the grave and has come back to life just as He said He would. The disciples remembered what Jesus said and His words set them free. Their hands and their hearts were free to proclaim the good news that Christ is risen, that he has risen indeed. Father, we come to you thanking you for the wonderful work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, that because of his resurrection, Lord, there is the possibility of a resurrection for those who are in Christ. We thank you for his love, God, your love for us through Christ. We thank you for his great love in that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.